welcome to another edition of South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I am your host, Ramita Ayer, and I work as a research analyst at the Institute. In this episode, we will be delving into the concerns over South Asia's environmental security, the impact of climate challenges, and what the different countries in the subcontinent are doing to tackle climate and other related issues. The World Bank earlier this year declared South Asia to be one of the most vulnerable regions to climate shocks. Intensifying heat waves, cyclones, and floods in the region are now testing the limits of governments, businesses, and citizens to adapt to their new climate normal. South Asia is home to more than 600 million poor people where climate resilient solutions are the need of the hour. Without further ado, let me now bring on our guest, Dr. Sophia Khanum, a senior research fellow at the Bangladesh Institute of International and Strategic Studies. Dr. Khanum, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. To start off, can you give us an insight into the environmental security situation in South Asia? Um, Thank you, Ramita, for inviting me and thank you for um, giving me the opportunity to speak on this topic. So uh, first, we all know that uh, the environment refers to the biological, physical and uh, chemical components of the system necessary to sustain life. So yet uh, this is a, a broad agenda within which there are multiple issues such as resource scarcity and um, pollution and occurring at the multiple scales uh, from global to local, you know, and in different ways and uh, to different degrees as places around the world. And South Asia is not exceptional in, in this fact. So environmental problems are now prominent in the political issues uh, as a consequence of the increased scale of consumption and pollution in the modern high energy societies, which is caused large decrease in primary forest cover, biodiversity losses and uh, depletion of uh, fish stocks, uh, land degradation, uh, water pollution and scarcity coastal and marine degradation and the contamination of people, plants and animals by chemicals and the radioactive substances. And um, and we and the most pressing issues, the impact of the associated impact of the climate change. So uh, if we uh, summarize the plural, plurality of the meanings of the environmental security, so we can categorize into six principal interpretation of what does it mean by the environmental security security so first the environmental security can be seen as a being about the impacts of the human activities on the environment and second the environmental security can be seen to about the impacts of the uh, military industrial complex including war uh, on the environment and third the environmental change can be seen as a security problem common to all states therefore recurring collective action and fourth the environmental changes can be seen as a threat to national security fifth the environmental change can be seen identified uh, as a possible cause of the violent conflict uh, due to the resource scarcity you know and six the environmental change can be seen as a risk to the human security so um, i think in that way we can define the human uh, the environmental security and we can link it to the human security and um, and it can uh, it also can be connected with the regional security and regional cooperation how do you assess the response of South Asian states to the climate emergency? 
Can you tell us about some of the key steps or what is now referred to as climate smart solutions that are being undertaken by them? Uh, yes, uh, uh, I think uh, this is very important question that how the South Asia is actually responding to this this changing world. You know, as you told earlier, that according to World Bank, that South Asia is one of the most vulnerable regions to climate change, and uh, its people are living through the new climate normal, while intensifying the heat waves, cyclones, droughts, and floods are testing the limits of the government's uh, business uh, businesses and the citizens to adapt. If you see the uh, the hottest uh, city like the Jakobabad in Pakistan and uh, where the temperature was very high and uh, then the human body can handle and um, in 2020 more than 3 million people are evacuated to safety from the fury of uh, super cyclone Amphan. So at the same time South Asia has uh, you know um, because uh, most of the countries of the South Asia's uh, focus at the development. So uh, with this changing environment and uh, the uh, focus on development, it is very hard to, you know, to uh, match with these uh, two goals together. So uh, there are many examples of how the South Asia is already leading the way in sustainable and resilient development. For example, India is one of the world's leader in installed uh, solar energy, you know, and uh, Bangladesh is a model for the world in terms of building coastal resilience. And have now more than uh, ever, more urgent transformational uh, climate action will paved the way for the resilient, sustainable recovery in South Asia. So emerging green sectors like battery technologies, um, e-mobility, climate smart agriculture, and water management, and climate-friendly housing, and industrial decarbonization offer South Asian countries a new paradigm to generate the growth and create sustainable jobs. So now I will just focus uh, some of the uh, major initiatives that the South Asian countries have taken to tackle the uh, climate change, the impacts, especially the negative impacts of the climate change. So I'm starting with Bangladesh. Um, so the country, the government of Bangladesh instituted um, climate change cell in 2004. Uh, in the climate relevant ministries and the line agencies to mainstream the climate change issues in the development activities and a climate un uh, change unit was established in the ministry of um, environment and forest in 2010 to facilitate and coordinate with the uh, climate change cells and manage the climate change fund so the national adaptation uh, program of um, action uh, that is in short it is called napa was completed in 2005 and further updated in 2009 and in 2008 the government also adopted uh, bangladesh climate change strategy action plan in short it is called uh, bcc sap focusing on the six priorities like food security social protection uh, and health comprehensive disaster management infrastructure development research and knowledge management mitigation and uh, low carbon development capacity building and um, uh, institutional strengthening and bangladesh also has uh, developed the climate uh, change trust fund uh, to support the uh, to support and to recover the uh, impacts um, of this um, uh, changing climate and bangladesh also has prepared the prosperity plan uh, you know for the longer um, vision and then again the delta plan which is actually uh, for uh, plan for the 100 year which also um, emphasize on the 
um, on the impacts of the climate change and how the country can recover from these impacts. And um, then Bhutan. Bhutan has completed its national adaptation program of action that is NAPA in 2006. And a National Environment Commission, in short, it is called NEC, serves as the local agency for the climate change and its high-level commission members from the National Climate Change Committee. And there are a lot of uh, Bhutan's policy guidelines of Vision 2020 and good government plans uh, plus emphasize ramping up the climate change mitigation by developing hydropower and solar energy resources. You know that um, uh, Bhutan has a huge resource of renewable energy because of this because of its geographic position. And uh, then again, India India launched its national action plan on climate change in June 2018, under which it has established eight national missions to address the various aspects of the climate change uh, mitigation and adaptation and they are the national missions on solar energy enhanced energy efficiency sustainable habitat uh, water um, water sustaining the himalayan ecosystem greening in uh, india sustainable agriculture and strategic knowledge for climate change and if we focus on the Nepal, Nepal finalized its national adaptation plan, uh, national adaptation program of action that is NAPA in 2010. And the Ministry of Environment, uh, where it is served as a, a focal ministry of the climate change related activities and has recently uh, established a climate change um, management division, a multi stakeholder climate change initiatives coordinator. A coordination committee was started in April 2009 to foster a unified and coordinated climate change response. And Nepal launched a three-year interim sustainable development plan in 2007 to 2010 that focuses on improving environment management and sustainable um, natural resources. And uh, they are also focusing on the clean development mechanism uh, and the renewable energy and the community forestry projects. And uh, if we um, focus on Sri Lanka, that uh, the Mahindra um, Chintana 10-year plan set out the overarching uh, development strategy of the country and acknowledge the importance of sound environmental management and the Sri Lankan Governments also um, um, also prepared the national action plan for Haritha. Uh, it means the green uh, Lanka program, which provides a framework for the environmental issues and programs. So it's also focusing on the uh, for combating the impacts of the climate change and then again the Maldives which is actually I would say that the most uh, prominent voice um, uh, in the climate negotiation for the impacts of the climate change and the Maldives prepared its NAPA in 2006 identifying 11 priority adaptation projects uh, focused on the coastal and the coral reef protection um, adaptation in uh, agriculture and freshwater and fisheries and food security and health. The implementation of Maldives NAPA has been boosted by the signing in December 2009 um, of a four-year uh, four initiative, which is called the Integrating Climate Change Risk into Resilient Island Planning in Maldives. Uh, the project uh, confined, uh, co-financed uh, co by the um, United Nations Development Program and the Global Environmental uh, Facilities, and um, which will systematically assess the cost and benefits of the 
different adaptation options in the land use uh, planning and the coastal protection and develop the necessary institutional capacity to implement the NAPA. So these are actually very much, uh, this is not the coordinated effect as I was discussing. And these are actually the individual initiatives of each of the states of the South Asia. Thank you so much for that comprehensive insight into what each South Asian country has been doing to deal with the climate uh, emergency that it is faced with. So one of the key things that you highlighted right at the start was the debate between environment versus development. And this is pertinent for all South Asian countries, which are mostly developing or least developed countries. And this brings me to the next part of our conversation, which is a related issue to the climate emergency, and that's of migration. A new study has revealed that more than 62 million South Asian people will be forced to migrate from their homes due to different climate disasters by the year 2050. Can you tell us about the impacts of climate migration and the challenges that it poses? Uh, yes, this is very important issue for the South Asian countries, you know, because uh, we are the uh, developing countries or the least developing countries. And I think the most uh, important aspects that we need to uh, think, um, uh, the, the South Asian countries need to think that the demographic imbalance, so when people are actually shifting from one place to another, whatever it is, it is maybe internal or it may be external. So the, there is a demographic shift and demographic imbalance because when people are migrating from the coastal areas to the city then there is a demographic imbalance which is a actually a national security threat for the each of the state because our cities are not prepared you know to receive this huge amount of migrants and sometimes it is also creating tension among the neighboring countries that people are migrating into our countries due to this climatic pressure so I think uh, this is a, a huge national security and the regional security aspect uh, of, of this um, the, of this climate migration. And um, uh, as I told earlier, that it is uh, uh, creating pressure, uh, huge pressure on the uh, service sectors uh, in the urban governance because um, uh, every uh, our urban planning has a um, uh, has an estimation that how much people they can serve. But when this uh, climate-induced migration happens, there is no, actually, there is no statistics that how many people are coming every day from the coastal belt or, or the climate-vulnerable portion. So uh, it, is, it is a very much major uh, planning issue for the urban, urban governance. And then again, the environmental uh, perspective, like when the people are coming to the city, they are actually settling in the peri-urban or the semi-urban areas which are left behind by the urban planners or the policy makers. So they are filling up the lowlands in the, in the peri-urban or in the semi-urban areas and destroying the natural flows of the water. And, um, uh, and you know, then again, the powerful groups actually uh, in the urban area who are actually helping them to settle down and creating slums and the informal settlements in the, in the government land or in the cash land or any other lowland in that peri-urban areas for the encroachment purpose, you know. So migrants are then again in the, in the cycle of, you know, patron-client relationship. And these migrants are patronizing by the 
powerful local people which creates a lot of social and uh, political unrest uh, through uh, capitalizing their vulnerabilities and they are not able to go far away from the environmental disaster because the place where they are settling down these places are not suitable for the living you know so they are again they are facing the water logging the drainage congestion uh, and and there there are a lot of health issues in these areas there are there are a lot of vector borne diseases like dengue they are more suffering from this type of diseases so i think this is the major um, one of the major concern of the um, of the climate change uh, impacts and which needs to be taken care of i think uh, we need to make a clear data bank of the of the climate migration or the climate induced migration moving from challenges to how south asian countries negotiate can you tell us about uh, then the negotiations carried out by the different countries in the region in international and regional forums and what is your assessment of their performance um uh, you know that uh, the the climate negotiation in the uh, the climate change international climate negotiation um, is actually fragmented you know since the beginning because of the interest and the focus uh, and from the very beginning in the, in the 1992 and the fragmentation of the negotiation has been attributed to varying interest concerns vulnerabilities resources and the other factors among the negotiating parties and uh, it has led to uh, formation of the various groupings and blocks within the UNFCC that negotiate based on the issues of the common concerns so this formation which emerged at the different points of uh, time during the course of the negotiation are characterized by the uh, either they are the geological proximity um, or the common shared of interest you know so it is also important to note that this formation are not exclusive and are mostly overlapping with the members of one grouping or blocks so the fragmentation need not necessarily be seen as either positive or negative as differing interpretation and uh, perspectives have brought out possibilities of both conflict and uh, cooperation among the nation states in the in the in the age of um, the climate change so and then again uh, if we see uh, uh, south asia south asia is considered as one of the most climate vulnerable and politically fragmented in the world so there will be fragmentation in the climate change negotiation which is very normal if we um, see that um, the copenhagen summit um, uh, in 2019 actually the negotiation and the interest area was much more visible after that so um, if I, if i mention that bangladesh and maldives are two of the most um, uh, you know the loud voices at the negotiation by framing climate change as an existential threat to their survival have played a pivotal role in the driving the negotiation forward so other countries like nepal bhutan sri lanka pakistan and afghanistan have also been leading voices for the climate action at the unfcc Uh, but maybe to a later extent than if i compare it to bangladesh and maldives so south asia as a region uh, cannot be treated as a monolith or there is uh, no one size fits all approach to framing or responding to climate change among its countries 
So uh, if I uh, say the division, the division among the South Asian countries in terms of their position at UNFCC is also somewhere, uh, somewhat reflected in the South Asian Association for Regional Cooperation in the SARC. And wherein, despite the push for the regional action plans on climate change targeted at specific sectors or issues, so there has been uh, little progress towards achieving the climate goals or even reaching a consensus or a common position on the climate change. Unlike other regional grouping, if you see that the uh, African Union uh, or at the same time the South Asian countries are also group of uh, group member of the G77 the developing countries a negotiating block that is deeply uh, focusing or strongly advocates for the equity and the climate justice but um, uh, but then again um, india is also a part of uh, major formal or on informal groupings of such as the basic uh, uh, grouping you know that uh, brazil south africa and china and major economic forum on energy and climate um, among others that make uh, the country distinct from the other South Asian countries. So uh, whereas the other South Asian countries are focusing uh, like Bangladesh, Maldives, Afghanistan, Nepal, Bhutan are members of the vulnerable 20 uh, constituted by the world's um, 20 most affected states by the catastrophic effect of the climate change and this climate um, vulnerable forum actually was um, uh, initiated by the Maldives government in 2019 after the Copenhagen summit there is a, a clear uh, distinction or the difference the activities of the basic countries and the CVM and uh, there are a lot of drivers uh, for this negotiation in the south asian nation that why these south asian nations are actually behaving differently in the different forum so if you see the south south cooperation which is at the heart of the g7 uh, group uh, 77 so which is emphasized on the development cooperation and it is um, focusing on the north south aid so in that um, uh, platform, all the South Asian countries are actually working together, you know, and this is based on the equity and justice issue and uh, the respect uh, and uh, it, it has the respect for the national sovereignty, equality and equity and the mutual benefit. And um, then again, the, uh, if you see the, um, the South Asian nation have used the platform uh, Group 77 to project a united stance on issues such as uh, the adaptation as well as the financial and technical support. Then again, um, the small state, you know, association of the small island and the uh, CVF, uh, both are actually uh, supported and ambitious legally binding agreement agreement that would limit the temperature rise to below uh, 1.5 degrees celsius and would require both the developed and the developing countries to act in terms of the climate change mitigation with the precondition that the latter group would um, receive support from the former group so however the basic countries are in favor of a bottom-up approach that is not the necessarily legally binding and ensure less inclusiveness 
and uh, if we um, uh, with uh, with this if we focus on the uh, exploring the opportunities for the cooperation among the south asian countries then again the, the geopolitics is there within the south asian countries which is very much prominent in the in the negotiation um, in the negotiation platform and uh, if you see the african common um, position on the climate change or the asians you know the association of southeast asian nations they have a, a constant attempts to engage in the common position on issues related to the climate change but um, if we see about the south asian countries uh, equivalent of sarc has barely uh, has you know any common ground for negotiation and um, uh, here i would say that the much more focus is much more nationalistic interest than the regional aspect i can cite one of the example that the international solar alliance that is launched in 2015 by india and france and this organization that brings together the sun rich countries and south asian countries are also sun rich and energy poor at the same time so the uh, regional energy uh, renewable energy sectors in these countries face several policy technical and economic and other channel challenges including the lack of investment due to the high initial cost and delayed profit or benefits paucity of the technical and technological capacities and formation etc so these obstacles could be overcome through the cooperation at the of the international solar alliance and translating into a greater understanding at the unfcc as well so especially in the developing idea of the climate justice so this could be a uh, like glorified example of uh, you know how south asia can work together and for this this type of negotiation where there is a resource but we need extra support from the developed developed countries where the south asia can cooperate and they can use this negotiation platform for their own development i'd like for us to close this podcast uh, looking at potential solutions as you've illustrated through our conversation the climate situation in south asia is quite grave and working together has been dif- difficult but tackling problems together and having coordination among countries is seen as an effective way to combat the climate issue but given the economic social and environmental risks that they face as well as the disparities between the different countries what are the steps that they can take to maximize their gains from working together uh, thank you ramita for the question so i think we need to focus on the um, on the issues that are why south asian countries couldn't cooperate first so if we uh, uh, we, we we have not seen a uh, like a river treaty like over, over a quarter century and uh, crucial shared resources resources such as the air and uh, the underground uh, water aquifers and the biodiversity although bangladesh and india have a uh, uh, have a memorandum of understanding in 2011 on the sundarban joint management of the sundarban but it is still not operating you know and uh, this type of initiatives remain largely ungoverned and uh, the constantly and there is again constantly changing the plans for the regional uh, electricity tra- trading mechanisms and uh, there is um, uh, also there is no plan for using this uh, renewable resources of the south asian countries and there is also the uh, diplomatic bitterness among the south asian countries so 
uh, if we um, um, see that there is a SARC action plan on the climate change and there is a joint declaration by the South Asian Environment Ministers in Dhaka in 2008, uh, but uh, we have already forgotten this, all these issues. And this is very much surprising that the idea of SARC has been eroded by the, the, by the unforgiving tides of the recent geopolitics and institutions such as the SARC seem to be at the point of no return. So it is ironic that after decades of pain stacking, stacking diplomatic works, we are left without an institutional safety net just as climate crisis and other um, cross-border threats. So in terms of the, um, uh, terms of the regional um, uh, climatic cooperation, the arbit uh, arbitrary nature of the national borders makes climate change hard to manage. You know, so they are determined by the politics and often completely neglect the ecological boundaries and planetary system. So today, the impacts are felt across the hard borders, melting glaciers are changing the hydrology of the entire Hindu Kush and Himalayan region and its eight countries. Erratic monsoons risk driving droughts in some parts of India and in other South Asian countries, devastating floods in the other parts of the. So we need to focus on the mitigation options and the adaptation options. So where South Asian countries can work together to minimize the impacts of the climate change. And the bulk of the climate actions will undeniably have to happen at the national and subnational scales. But regional cooperation offers novel opportunities for the progress. For example, as I mentioned earlier, that the regional electricity grid would allow India to sell the renewable power to its neighbor while they help balance sudden fall in production. So uh, then again, uh, the giant uh, plant river basins, you know, could focus on reviving the trade through inland waterways, which actually could mean significantly less emissions than the ro road transport. So if we can focus on the inland water transport among the South Asian countries, it will be climate friendly, it will be cost effective, and it will have the less carbon footprints. So we need to focus on this type of initiatives for the regional uh, cooperation. And um, uh, then again, um, I can give some of the uh, policy suggestions um, uh, for the regional cooperation that can be uh, considered for the policymakers or for the people, those who are actually um, uh, in the process of the regional cooperation, first we can, that all the South Asian uh, governments have um, publicly expressed their climate anxieties and established a variety of climate policies. As I mentioned earlier, a scientific evidence has grown, but we need a regional policy for the climate uh, change policy, you know. We need the data sharing uh, policies so that we can cope with the disaster or the upcoming disaster we can handle. And then again, the climate finance commitment from the developed countries and the multilateral organizations are growing and could easily be challenged to the uh, channeled to projects that would benefit, you know. So um, um, where the South Asian countries can work together as the disasters are not uh, maintaining the national geographic boundaries or the national boundaries so we can minimize or we can mitigate this type of impacts together from a 
common fund. And I think we need a regional leadership, which is very much lacking in this um, sector. We need to break the diplomatic uh, deadlocks. We need to forget the geopolitical um, uh, or geopolitical tensions or the conflict in this aspect because climate change will not um, focus or the impacts will not um, like consider the geopolitics or geopolitical tension among the South Asian countries. Thank you for being on the podcast, Dr. Khanum. You were listening to South Asia Chat. To learn more about our work, visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. You can also get latest updates on social media. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm.